0: MRCC friends and family Thanks for joining us online, being a part of this online worship service. We love that you're here. We wanna encourage you if you are new with us to actually connect with us. The best way to do that right now is that you can text MRCC to nine four zero zero zero. And if you're not from this area, we also wanna encourage you to get connected to a local church family. What a wonderful opportunity that is. That is probably the best thing you can do right now is to stay connected the best way you can in the area where you do live. But we are grateful, we are so thankful that you're here because it's such a great opportunity to be able to worship together, right?
1: It is. Mm-hmm. We love having you guys here. And one of the other things that we've loved is this new tradition we've started of walking after church on Sunday morning. So this Sunday or today, if you're watching this on Sunday morning, we're going to be walking on the Enum Club Buckley Trail from 1230 to 130 p.m. It's going to be a blast. We've just loved being able to see all of you guys while still respecting the rules of social distancing. So feel free to join us for that. It would be super awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah I've really fun. enjoyed seeing people on the trail. and.
1: It's been great. Uh, and it's a got couple me walking. dogs
0: are out there. Lots yep. of dogs.
1: So if you're a dog <laughs> (laughs) fan that's another reason to show up. Yep,
0: We've really enjoyed it.
1: We also have our first drive-in service here at the church at MRCC happening on Sunday night or tonight if you're watching this on Sunday morning at 6 p.m. we're super excited it's gonna be a blast it's gonna be the same uh, service content that we bring on Sunday mornings in our Saturday night service so same message and worship and all of that stuff but we're just gonna be in a different setting in the parking lot here at MRCC feel free to bring your family pile them in the car uh, preferably a smaller car because we do have limited spacing but we're just going to have a blast and and worship God together in a new kind of different way. So we're looking forward to that a lot.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to try something new.
1: Yes, it'll be
0: be great. Absolutely. And you know, we do miss seeing you. So we have a couple opportunities like the drive-in service, but also next Sunday, June 7th, we're planning to have a drive-through kids party right here at MRCC. We miss seeing the kids. So it's just an opportunity to drive through, but we're also giving them an opportunity kind of at the end of that drive. Uh, We'll have a little bag with some goodies in it, uh, but also give them a chance to hop out of the car and race around the grass area to grab a few Easter eggs just for fun. We've got all those Easter eggs and we, we feel like it's time. Come and grab them, have fun with it, race back to your car and uh, just wave and smile at each other. It'll be great. So
1: It's going to be a blast. Yeah. Uh, so much fun. We can't wait for that. Another thing that we can't wait to do is worship with you guys. Would you join mm-hmm. us and maybe stand in your living room where you're at or wherever you're watching this right now mm-hmm. and worship with us. Join Amen. us.
0: Amen. Amen. Thanks.
2: Hello, MRCC, thank you for joining us for Church Online today. We are so happy you are here. It is so good to worship together and declare that the power of praise can change anything. You know, true freedom is found when we join our voices with heaven to praise God, regardless of the circumstances around us. And today we get to sing a new song, and it is our prayer that it would stir up our faith and encourage us to fix our eyes on God and grasp this weapon of praise that silences the enemy and calms the storm. Lord, we praise you for who you are. Church, would you join us and lift up holy praise to our Father. We worship you, God. I'm Cannot survive when we praise You. We've got to break through. The creation. We praise you. We worship you. You are our firm foundation in this shaky world. In your word, it is written, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. And it also says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you, nor forsake you. Amen. Lord, you are moving. You are at work, even now. Lord, you are faithful. You're always faithful. As your church, can we remember that? Can we praise you for that? Our faithful God, our firm foundation, how we trust you, we worship you. Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me yet Do you believe that church? Always, always faithful Waiting for change to come Knowing the bad? One, For you have never failed me yet. Because his promises are true, always. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands my confidence, you never failed me yet. and you never will, no, no, you never will, I know the that you never found me yet. how we trust you how we trust you tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word just to rest upon his promise and to know the Savior. that we sing of today God would you forgive us for the times that we lack faith we repent of that as your church God help us trust you even more now knowing that you are in control knowing that you are at work knowing that you are moving let us not lose sight of that we set our eyes on you God, in this moment in this season And we know that you are working good through it all because that's who you are. Wow, what a God worthy of our praise. What a Savior worthy of our worship. And so we lift it up to you and join the heavens in praise of who you are. And as your church, we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church, so great to worship our great God together.
3: Good morning, church, and welcome. Good evening for some of us, good afternoon for others. It is great to be together. Thank you, Pastor Weston and the worship team for for bringing us into the presence of God. You know, every week, I, I think I must be like most of you, in that every week when it comes time for online service and we hear Pastor Weston and the worship team begin to lead us into worship, something leaps in us, something rejoices in us. It feels so right and good. And, and so thank you worship team for bringing us into the presence of God in our hearts. And, and I also wanna encourage us church that in this moment we are gathered together in spirit. Uh, when we choose to come together like this, to worship and spend time in God's word, the the coming together that happens in our spirits is even deeper than the coming together that happens when we gather in a room. So uh, we're all looking forward to that time, but know that what we experience when we choose to come together like this is is even more real. And, And that's important because before we open God's word this morning, I wanna ask you to pray with me. Um, as probably most of us are aware, some really awful things happening in our country uh, this week. Uh, the news is full of it and, um, you know, God makes us a promise, church. He says that if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will heal their land and, and our land needs healing. Uh, it is obvious that our land wrestles deeply still with division and strife and racism and, and so many l- uh, ills that uh, afflict us, uh, for which the healing is a spiritual one and only a spiritual one. It has to be our heart. So I want to ask you to, to pray with me. Uh, the Bible says that you and I are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation and that we intercede for the world around us. Can I ask you to bow your head and pray with me for our land uh, together this morning? Would you do that? God, we come to you together this morning, your sons and daughters, the people that you have designated as a kingdom of priests in this land. And Lord, we come to you on behalf of our land, and we pray for that healing that changes our hearts, God. We pray for that, that deep repentance that changes the heart. God, our our land is deeply sick in spirit, uh, even as we wrestle with sicknesses of the body. And it is that sickness of our spirit, God, that afflicts us most. We cry out to you and pray for healing. We confess our sins. We confess that we are a wayward culture. And we ask, Lord, that you would come and and change that, that you would bring uh, the change in our hearts, Lord, that puts that kind of ugliness and darkness uh, to death. Lord, we pray for that. We cry out to you for healing from this virus and all sicknesses, but even more, Lord, we pray that you would wash away those afflictions of the spirit God, that that afflict us the most, we pray for that, and we pray as your sons and daughters, we pray as your people, we pray for those who don't know you, God. We cry out on their behalf, and we do that together in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for doing that. I hope that you uh, remain in prayer for these kinds of things, ultimately. Uh, it's what go, goes on in our hearts that uh, is the solution. And that's why we preach the gospel. That's why we, we bring this message of God's grace and love again and again. So this morning we're going to continue uh, our journey in Hebrews. We're in chapter 2 uh, this morning. If you want to grab your Bible and turn there. And, and while you're doing that, Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 to 18, uh, let me ask you, have you, ever, have you ever been in a car accident? You know, the reality is way more of us have than, than we think. In fact, a government study released a couple years ago reveals that statistically speaking, one in three of us will be in a significant car accident at some point in our lives. So it's very common and probably as I ask you that question, many of us are flashing back to memories of car accidents that we were involved in. I can think of, of several and if you wonder why I was involved in several, maybe you've never driven with me. But um, you, you heard of course about the blonde who was told uh, that most car accidents happen within two miles of your home. And hearing that, she immediately moved. Yeah, I'm sorry, I apologize for that. But the truth is, friends, that you and I take our lives in our hands every time we get behind the wheel. It only takes a little drift to turn a simple drive home from school or work into a tragedy. And and when we think about this, we feel the reality of it. Have, Have you ever gotten sleepy while you were driving and had one of those terrifying moments when you realized that you were beginning to drift? And all of us have come up with ways to kind of cope with that. How do we stay awake on a long drive, maybe in the dark and turn up the radio and drink more Diet Coke and stick your feet out the window? We have all come up with ways to be safe on the road. Uh, And it's important that we do that. We feel the significance of that. I I remember a few years ago, standing by the Safeway here in Enumclaw and watching a woman crash into the back of a park semi-truck. She had somehow become distracted while she was driving. She didn't even slow down. And it happened just 20 yards from me. I watched her car smash into the back. And just like that, her life was over. You and I understand that distracted driving can kill us that it's incredibly dangerous. In fact, at 55 miles per hour, they tell us that a two second glance to your phone will move you 80 to 100 yards down the road, two seconds. And so we understand that we have to keep our eyes on the road, we try to teach our teenagers, well, our Father God this morning wants to say something like that to us about paying attention to our salvation, paying attention to our spiritual life. God wants us to understand that paying attention is something we must choose to do deliberately or to use his words. We will find ourselves drifting and drifting is far more dangerous than we might think it is because here's the reality you and I and, and everyone on this planet is hurtling towards eternity, towards judgment at a speed far greater than 55 miles per hour. And God doesn't want us staring out the window or staring at our phones when so much is at stake. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is gonna talk to us about here in chapter two. You remember what we learned uh, in chapter one when we began? The author of Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians in particular who needed to let go of the lesser ideas about God that they had grown up with and embrace the, the full revelation of God that's in Jesus. Or to put it another way, when our ideas about God contradict with Jesus, we must let him change our minds. And we, we saw the writer of Hebrews lay that on us in chapter one, and now he, he takes it to the next level. Chapter two, beginning with verse one, he, he begins to speak to us about paying attention to our salvation. Listen to what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter two, verse one, down through verse four, and, and we'll move eventually down through verse 18 this morning in the next 20, 25 minutes. The Bible says this. We must pay more careful attention therefore to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. That's an interesting turn of phrase. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, that's a reference to the ideas the Jews had grown up with about God, real ideas, but lesser than the fullness that's in Christ. If the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, if that was real and significant and important, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Meaning the gospel that is in Jesus. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him and to which God also testified by signs, wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. I wanna invite us to to notice three phrases here at the beginning of chapter two. Uh, The writer talks about paying more careful attention. He talks about the danger of drifting away. And he talks about, quote, such a great salvation. And what he says is we've got to pay more careful attention to the gospel because if we don't, then we will drift. What does he mean by that? Well, the reality is that lots of people fall into the trap of thinking that other things in life are more important or more urgent than knowing God. But the writer of Hebrews is reminding us that that's not the case. When you're driving, you know what's most important, keeping your eyes on the road, keeping your hands on the wheel. Paying attention to traffic around you. In the same way, the writer of Hebrews is saying the single most important part of you, everybody's day is that moment when we remember that we're to be always paying attention to a father God. Uh, to think of this another way, how important will your career or your weight loss dreams or your hurt feelings be in that instant when you pass from this life and we go to judgment? Think about that. Some of us are, are, are really upset about the government, okay, but the far more urgent and important thing is to pay attention to what's happening in our spirits and to where God is leading us. The government's passing by. Eternity is hurtling towards us. We are moving towards it like a passengers in a car, like drivers in a car. And, and, and the writer talks about uh, ignoring so great a salvation And he says, if you do, you will drift, you will get distracted. You'll start texting or staring out the window or get sleepy, so to speak, and then you drift. And when when you drift, you know, the the ugly thing about the drift is when you drift, it's sort of peaceful and blissful for a few moments, but then boom, the car's off the road and, and you're dead. Half an inch makes all the difference. Hardly anyone ever deliberately abandons their faith because our faith makes too much sense, but lots of folks drift. And the writer of Hebrews is concerned about that. And he talks about ignoring such a great salvation. What does he mean? Well, very bluntly friends, he means that we sometimes forget, we lose touch with the reality that people are lost without God's grace. That hell is real. That judgment is coming. Uh, To lose contact with those realities is what it means to ignore such a great salvation. Sin, friends, will separate us from God, both here and now and in eternity. And Jesus stepped in and paid the penalty for our sins, absorbed the punishment for our sins. And to lose, uh, to, to let our attention drift away from that reality will cause our souls to drift. And so the writer of Hebrews says we must pay attention like drivers in a car. We must keep our eyes fixed on the reality of what God has done for us in Christ. I remember being on a missions trip uh, many years ago as a youth pastor down in central Mexico and and driving a van full of teenagers and the area where we ended up serving was, was deep in the mountains, very remote, very rural. And the road to get there as we drove it got increasingly narrow. Picture a mountainside like you see in Colorado or Utah. And and there was a, a point as I drove that road with a van filled with teenagers, there was a point at which I, I became acutely aware that the wheels of the van I was driving were less than a foot from the edge of the cliff and there was no guardrail. Can I tell you that my attention over those several miles when the road looked like that was riveted to the road? Yeah, I was fully focused on the road. The radio was off. Uh, I wasn't joking with the kids. In that moment, I was all about driving. God says, in the same way, we must pay more careful attention to our salvation. Because if we don't, we'll drift. If you had been driving that van in that moment, your eyes would have been riveted to the road because you recognized how much was at stake. In the same way, God calls us to pay careful attention. Otherwise, we get distracted. Can I just challenge you? In this time of, uh, of uh, coronavirus and, and lockdown and quarantine, more than ever, uh, God calls us to focus our attention on our relationship with him on our times of prayer, on our times in his word, on our concern for one another, on our willingness to serve, on our worship disciplines, because it is in paying more careful attention that we prevent the drift. We must stay closely in touch with what God has done for us in Christ. To put this another way, we must build our lives around our faith, not our faith around our lives. We must move worship to the center of our world, prayer to the center, the scriptures to the center. There will be time for everything else, but these things keep us from drifting. You know, a man said to me recently when we were talking, he said, you know, pastor, uh, during this time, I've just fallen out of the habit of going to church. You know, I just don't really prefer online church, and so I'm just gonna wait until we gather together again. I said, oh, my brother, don't do that. Don't do that, now more than ever. You need to focus your attention on your faith because that is what keeps us from drifting. What is it that you do to keep your eyes on the road, so to speak? Can I invite you to think about that for a moment? Do you have a daily devotional time? Do you have a regular discipline of recentering your attention on eternity, on what Jesus has done for you? When you do, you mitigate against that tendency to drift. And you know, uh, th- let me give you an example, a word picture of, of the kind of focus that God's talking about here. Uh, many of us will know that Ichiro Suzuki, one of the most famous of the Seattle Mariners, led Major League Baseball in hitting over seven different seasons. And when he was asked to explain his success, he said, I pay attention to important things. And then he gave an example. He said, for example, my bats. In Japan, we learned to take care of our tools and our instruments well, because we know how important they are, and so he negotiated a contract with the Mizone sports company to custom make every one of his bats by hand from a certain kind of wood grown in a certain part of Japan. And he doesn't just throw his bats in a bag after the game, he keeps eight of them for each game in a custom-made suitcase that's shockproof, contains an internal dehumidifier, and has little bags of pellets designed to absorb moisture from the wood. And he inspects each and every one before and after each and every game and he does that just to win a batting title God says in your life and mine there's much more at stake that is our eternity and he says hey pay careful attention to these things keep your eyes focused on these things they will prevent the drift that is so dangerous and then he goes on look at verses five to nine In these verses, the author returns to the same theme as chapter one, reminding us that Jesus transcends the revelations mediated by angels. But he he puts a specific detail in there. He says in verse five, it is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking but it is to Christ. This goes back to that theme that that we must let all our ideas about God be changed by Jesus. Uh, The writer of Hebrews is urging that on the Jews who had grown up with a lot of traditions that Jesus fulfilled and transcended. And in the same way, we who have grown up with a lot of ideas about God that we collected from the internet or country music or whatever, we are to let those be changed by Jesus and by who he is because Jesus is the one who has authority over the world to come. Again, not our government, but him. The Jews thought this way. They thought, wow, the angels did big stuff on earth. They wiped out Pharaoh's army, knocked down the walls of Jericho, trashed Sodom and Gomorrah. But all those things, the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand, have to do with this world. And you and me are headed for a different one. And nothing is more real than that. You know, if you're riding in your car down the freeway and you're chatting with friends and you're listening to the radio and you're exchanging videos on your phone, it's easy to believe in a moment that what's happening there is more important than the fact that you're going down the freeway at 70 miles an hour. But the truth is that the fact you're going down the freeway is more significant and to always be aware of that and pay attention to it and be focused on it is in fact what enables the other things to become meaningful. Well in the same way God calls us to keep our attention riveted on our salvation. What does this look like practically? Can I tell you a quick story? Some years ago when Ron and I lived in another city, we had a home uh, and uh, the home that we owned was next door to a home owned by the man who lived across the street. He rented out the house next door to us. And uh, one of the things that uh, we realized as time went by was that we had some trees that were in the backyard area that were kind of dangerous in wind storms. They were uh, in danger of coming down. And so uh, we decided that we were gonna take some of these trees down on the backside of our property in kind of our backyard area. And um, in casual conversation, I mentioned that to my neighbor and uh, to to the guy who owned the house next to us. Uh, As I said, he lived across the street. I mentioned that we were going to be doing that the next day. And uh, I went to work. And when I came home at the end of the day, he was a retired guy. When I came home at the end of the day, he had moved the fence line, basically taking over some of our property because he wanted a couple of those trees to stay up. I almost couldn't believe it when I saw it. Uh, first of all, that it was so brazen, that it was so obviously illegal. It was just staggering to me that somebody would do something like that. And, of course, Ron and I discussed it. And one of the things we discussed is, well, of course, we could go to court and, and uh, you know, sue the guy and all that. But he was not a believer, and we had been endeavoring to share our faith with him. And as we talked about it and prayed about it, we came to the decision that we weren't going to do anything that we weren't gonna say a word about it, that we're gonna let those trees stay, we're gonna take down other ones. And then he was gonna have to live across from us knowing that we never said a word about it because we felt that that would make our witness stronger. That's what it looks like to be focused more on the world to come than the world that is. Now that's not a recipe for every situation, but that's what it looks like to be more focused on the world to come. We had friends who said, hey, you're losing out in this deal. We said, no, we're winning because our attention is on the world to come. Our attention is on our salvation. Our attention is on the fact that we are sent here for people like him who don't yet know God as their savior. And church, when we have that kind of focus, when our eyes are on the road, so to speak, we won't drift. We won't drift, we will be able to overcome whatever comes and we will be able to make a difference in other people's lives and to be fruitful in God's eyes. Now, as soon as the writer says that, and in verses 6 to 9, he gives some examples of it, th- then the Bible takes a turn here that we wouldn't expect. Look at verse 10 of chapter 2. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, that's a reference to Jesus. And what it's saying is, it is fitting, from God's perspective, to make Christ perfect through suffering. Now, what does that mean? How does his perfection come through suffering? And why is it fitting? Well, let's do a little heavy duty study here for a moment, a little adult work. First of all, that word author in your Bible is the Greek word "archagos," And it means, here's the meaning, someone who starts something designed to benefit someone else. An archagos is someone who, who begins a task intended for the benefit of someone else. And the picture has to do with someone else's acute need. So if I can paint, paint a picture here, suppose a ship is wrecked on the rocks offshore of an island and it's beginning to fall apart and a bunch of people are trapped on it and one person dives overboard and swims to shore with a rope so that others can be saved. That person would be Archegos. And the Bible is applying that picture to Jesus and saying that he becomes perfect, catch this, by suffering the hard swim to shore for the benefit of others. And the idea behind the word made perfect, the Greek word teleos, is the manner whereby someone is made able to carry out a task. So how they are made able to be in Kagos. So the picture here is that Jesus found strength to go to the cross for us through enduring hardship and suffering for our benefit. That's how his perfection is made evident to us. And the reason the scripture is calling our attention to that is because we are called to the same kind of thing. Jesus found strength to go to the cross through enduring hardship and suffering. I remember many years ago when I was stationed in Iceland as a, a marine sentry and we were often on posts where we had to patrol outside and it was very dark and the weather was extreme and it was bitterly cold and, and there was a lot of concern about the danger of spending too much time outside. Well, one day I was on post with another man who was another Marine who was overcome by his fear of being outside and we were supposed to swap uh, spending a half hour outside each throughout our shift and and he just became so overwhelmed with fear really of the dark, but also of the weather and the cold that he just said, I'm not going to go out there anymore. And I was faced with a dilemma. Uh, Either neither of us would go out there or I would stay out the whole time. And, And you know, I felt like, well, we gotta have somebody on guard. So throughout that shift, I went out and stayed out the whole time. Now something happened during that period. What happened was that I lost my fear of being out there for the whole shift. Matter of fact, that evening is an evening I'll, I'll never forget because of the beauty of the stars, because of the glory of the the uh, oh, what am I trying? The northern lights that were happening that night in the sky. That night lives in my memory because that was the night I first really began to appreciate the beauty of the place I was stationed, the beauty of Iceland. As my fear melted away, I began to perceive what was all around me. And and the idea is that God wants that for us. And so when the writer of Hebrews finishes this thought in verses 14 and 15, he says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and catch this, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death, meaning, church, that as we set aside our fear for ourselves, God meets us in that and washes away uh, our fear of death. God wants us to know that we, his sons and daughters, believers in Christ, need have no fear of death whatsoever. Jesus came so that we wouldn't. And you know, to be very transparent, this whole virus thing looks different when you're not afraid of dying and when you're more concerned about helping other people through it than fearing for yourself. Suddenly, it looks dramatically different. That's why you and me should be the calmest people in the world during this crisis and the most patient and kind with those who are frightened because we aren't. The devil's power of death in this passage to his, refers to his ability to deceive about it and he still endeavors to deceive even believers about it. but. Jesus comes to set us free from that fear. So to put it simply, and we're into the home stretch now, God in Jesus shares our humanity so that we will know that we can do what he does on behalf of others, that we can put our fear aside. I remember an emotional conversation I had with with my son when he was struggling through middle school. Everybody struggles through uh, middle school. And I said, son, I know what you're feeling, I went through it too, I know how hard it is. And as we sat in his room that night and I shared some of my own stories from middle school, I could see how it helped him, how it lifted his heart, how he began to perceive that he could overcome his fears as well. Suddenly I didn't seem so far away from him or so far above him or beyond him. Jesus comes that we might feel the same about our Father God. That we might realize that what he calls us to, we can do. And that when we do, we are set free from fear. Uh, and the last thought. Look at verses 17 to 18 here in Hebrews chapter 2. The writer says, for this reason, that is the perfecting of our faith, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he's tempted, catch this. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In other words, friends, God knows how you feel and he doesn't condemn how you feel. He is sympathetic towards your struggles. That's important to grasp, that's important to know. In this way, Jesus reveals more about God than all the angels and the miracles of Jewish history and tradition. A little later in Hebrews, over in chapter four, the Bible is gonna say this, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet was without sin. Let us then, approach the throne of grace with confidence that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In other words, God knows how we feel. He's sympathetic towards us. And that ought to open the door for us to draw near to him, to go to him when we struggle and when we're in need. Sympathetic, please note, doesn't mean permissive. Doesn't mean he turns a blind eye and ignores sin but it does mean he knows how we feel. And isn't it a great feeling to meet someone who understands what you're going through? We all appreciate that feeling and God wants us to feel that because of Jesus. Some years ago, at a church picnic in the summertime, a little girl broke her collarbone on the slip and slide while all the kids were playing together. It was an accident, mom and dad were great about it, they understood what had happened and. And I had broken my collarbone earlier in life, and and so when I heard her story and I, I told her that I'd broken mine too, mom said she really loved that. The little girl really loved knowing that I had broken mine as well. Why? Because she knew someone understood how she felt. And friends, that's what God in Jesus comes to do for you and for me, to help us understand that he knows how we feel, that he invites us to draw near and to receive the help that we need from a father's heart. God understands how you feel. And when you know that, you're set free in your heart to draw near to him. And that's incredibly important because the bottom line is this, you and I are all headed towards judgment. And unless and until we confess our sins, to a holy God and ask for His grace, then the arrival at eternity will be a tragedy. It will be an eternal wreck. But if we understand that He is for us and we simply say, God, I'm a sinner, be my savior, then the whole thing changes. Then God, knowing that our heart is right towards Him, gives us His grace eternally. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus comes to make known to us. And Jesus comes so that we might know that God knows how we feel because he's human and to draw near to him in him. Let me finish with a story. Bishop William Willimon tells the story of visiting a woman in the hospital who was dying of lung cancer. She was desperately sick, laboring for every breath, And clinging to a crucifix as she very slowly died in the hospital room. When the bishop entered the room he asked if he could pray with her and pray for her, she welcomed it, they prayed together, and then when they had finished praying he asked her if she wanted him to get the priest from the hospital chapel since it was obvious that she was a Catholic believer. But she only smiled and held up the crucifix and in her weakness wheezed, it's okay, I already have a priest. God invites you to know that. God invites you to be free from your fear of death. It happens when you say, yes, God, I admit, I admit it, I'm a sinner. Be my savior. That's the simple gospel to receive Jesus as your savior is to be as free as she was in that moment. And that's what God wants for you. And that's what God seeks for us. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your father-hearted invitation to pay more careful attention to our salvation so that we won't drift, so that we won't be overcome by fear, so that we will be set free to serve others, especially those who don't know you yet. God, give us that grace, we pray. And Lord, for those who are here and have not received you as savior, help them to feel and know in their hearts in this moment that a simple prayer to you will set them free from their fear of death. And that's what you want for us. We thank you for your word this morning, God. We pray your blessing as we enter into the rest of this day and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hope that you'll be able to join us for the fellowship walk uh, this afternoon. Uh, and then uh, this evening will be uh, our first Sunday evening drive-in service. It will be the same worship service and message as we're doing here online. So uh, that happens at six o'clock tonight. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God, tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.